Hey everybody, this is Steve Patterson, and today I want to talk to you about continuums. This is an article entitled, Colors, Continuums, and Confusion. The continuum is a formidable opponent. Just when we think an issue is black and white, the continuum turns everything into a shade of gray. What is a continuum? Well, simple. It's the boundary between red and pink. In other words, it's a blurry spectrum. There's no objective boundary between red and pink. The colors kind of blend together. So take a blob of red paint and keep adding white. At some point, you'll end up with pink, but it's not exactly clear when. Before you see pink, you'll see a red, and then a light red, and then a really light red, but not quite pink, and then finally pink. So it seems innocuous, but this principle of blurry boundaries presents serious logical problems for many ideas. Blurry lines lead to blurry language and blurry theories. So if we're to speak precisely, we need clear distinctions between this and that. If we're unable to create clear boundaries, then our concepts need refinement. We cannot pretend that red is actually a precise color if its definition can never exactly be pinned down. As I wrote about before, Continuums are precisely the reason why objects do not exist as independent things, separate of our conception of them. The only things that exist are the constituent parts, the bits of matter that are arranged in particular ways, that we reference as objects. So the only way to have a clear understanding of an object is to realize that all objects are concepts. They do not exist without our minds. If we try to preserve the idea of independent objects, then we run into all kinds of logical and absurd problems, just like the example of the sand pile. At what point does adding one grain of sand bring a pile of sand into existence? I talk more in detail about this topic in the article entitled, No, Chairs Do Not Exist. But continuums are not only troublesome for objects, they crop up in many different areas. I was having a conversation with a friend just the other day, and we were talking about ethics and politics. He was saying that I was too reliant on continuum problems in legal theory. He said just because we can't perfectly distinguish between yellow and orange doesn't mean we can't distinguish between orange and blue. Now this, I think, is an important error. He was saying essentially... Just because some moral and legal issues don't have clear boundaries, that doesn't mean boundaries don't exist at all. His example was the age of consent. At what age does it become okay to sleep with a female? Everybody on earth practically would say a 25-year-old woman with reasonable mental faculties can consent to sleep with a 25-year-old man. But what if she's 18? 16? 14? 10? 6? Now, nearly everybody on Earth would agree that a six-year-old girl cannot consent to sleep with a 25-year-old man, but we're presented with a continuum problem, what appears to be gray blurriness, bookended by clear truths, i.e., maybe a 15- or 16-year-old can consent, maybe 14, give or take, but clearly a four-year-old cannot consent and a 25-year-old can. We have clear boundaries and kind of blur in the middle. Now, my own resolution to these problems is the exact same as it is with objects. The boundaries do not actually exist. There's no objective color. There's no objective red or pink. And neither is there an objective age of consent. We can only avoid the continuum problem by eliminating it altogether. Now, that might sound odd initially, but the resolution is actually quite simple. A color is actually a label attached to an experience. It is not an independent thing. So seeing red is not actually seeing a thing that's called red or seeing objective redness. It's experiencing something that you call seeing red. 
It's the subjective experience that we label as different colors. The experience of pinkness is different than the experience of redness. Ah, but what about the wavelength of light? Some people might say, can't we be precise in referencing red as something like light with a wavelength of around 650 nanometers? Well, no, we actually can't, for the same reason an object can be identical to its constituent particles. If 650 nanometers is a precise color, then 651 nanometers is objectively a different color, and as is 650.5 nanometers, and 650.00000000001 nanometers. So if we correlate colors to wavelengths, we'll end up with a practically infinite, not actually infinite, amount of different colors. And these differences would be indistinguishable to the human eye. In fact, the light is going to be fluctuating much more just in our daily observation than the wavelengths that I've just specified. Granted, this is a logical possibility, but to me it seems utterly absurd. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that wavelengths aren't correlated with colors. We can precisely say wavelengths around 650 to 750 nanometers correlate with the experience that we label as red. Now, if we phrase things that way, whether it's 650 nanometers or 651, it's actually still the same type of experience. So what matters is the experience taking place, not the actual wavelength. Both sizes could be meaningfully associated with the exact same red because we're talking about an experience. Now, also, this allows for a different feeling of redness by different people. An age-old philosophic question is, does the red that I see look the same way to you? Or have we simply been trained to use the same word even though the actual redness looks different to both of us? Now, this question actually gets into a great deal of difficult things to sort out if red is some objective phenomena, but by understanding colors as experiences, it entirely avoids the issue. It doesn't matter whether your red looks the same way or not. We're just using red to reference your subjective experience, not some objective experience or wavelength or objective color, whatever that might be. Thus, we have an answer to the red into pink example I talked about earlier. At what point does the red become pink? Well, simple. At whatever point it looks that way to you. There's no objective boundary at all. And to some, what looks pink will undoubtedly be labeled as light red by others. But that's no mystery when we understand colors as labels for our experiences. Now, this also solves the recent internet meme explosion about what color is this dress? Is it black and blue or is it white and gold? So what's the answer? Well, the dress doesn't actually have a color. What's happening is there's an experience that is being generated in your mind, which you're labeling as white and gold or black and blue. There's not an objective answer. Your experience is your own. You can call it whatever colors you like. Okay, enough about colors. What about the age of consent? Well, the same resolution applies. There's no objective age of consent. Each case is different. Age is merely a convenient concept. It's a very, very useful and accurate rule of thumb. It's not the fundamental principle that we care about. It's only correlated. What matters actually is maturity and development of which age is a very strong gauge. So the reason a four-year-old cannot consent is not actually because she's four. Rather, it's because four-year-olds aren't mature or developed enough to make these kinds of decisions for themselves. It might be true that all four-year-olds are incapable of consenting, but that doesn't mean it's because they're four. It's because they're immature. The same is true with a 25-year-old. Age cannot be the only factor at play. It's a correlate. 
Imagine a 25-year-old woman that's nearly comatose and mentally handicapped. Can she consent? Well, of course not. The same would be true of even a 50-year-old if she has severe enough developmental issues to render her unable to consent. But what about the edge cases? What about the 13-year-olds? Well, it depends on the individual case. Remember, age is a rule of thumb, not an absolute rule. What about if the 13-year-old has already graduated college? What about if she's already taken care of her family members for several years? What if she has a genetic abnormality that means she develops at a much faster pace mentally and physically than usual? And remember, many marriages throughout history have begun as young teenagers or even younger. Were all of those objectively immoral? Well, I would say the only way to deal with these continuum problems is to get rid of it entirely. There is no objective age of consent because the underlying principles are not about age. They're about maturity and development. Granted, we can superficially eliminate the continuum by acting as if our concepts have objective existence, and it's quite convenient to do so. But we should not mistake convenience for metaphysical accuracy. From my perspective, Precision is always preferable to blurriness, and for this reason, we should treat continuum problems with the utmost seriousness. More likely than not, whenever they appear, it's a sign that our concepts need to be reframed in a more careful way. If you like these ideas, make sure to subscribe. And if you want to help create a more rational worldview, then please head over to my Patreon page and you can support content like this for $1. To read this article or to learn about my books, Check out steve-patterson.com.